Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. This morning we continue our worship series on martyrdom. And today we'll be jumping forward out of long-standing church history into more modern events. Today we'll be focusing on a martyr by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was not American nor Methodist. He was actually originally born in an area that is now modern Poland, and he lived most of his life in Germany, and he was an ordained Lutheran clergy person. And so how are we focusing on Lutheranism? Well, first of all, one of the most glorious things that I like about Methodism is that we're very ecumenical, and we love our church universal, and so we don't distinguish solely based upon who is a United Methodist or not. But you might be interested to know that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was the first martyr officially recognized by the United Methodist Church. And this happened in Dallas, Texas at the called, or not called, sorry, the General Conference of 2008. There, the United Methodist Church received a petition from a seminary student who would wanted to have Dietrich Bonhoeffer recognized so that he may be put forth as an example of what our faith can do and how our journey of discipleship may end. And so that's how Dietrich Bonhoeffer comes to us. He's not one of us from birth, not a dyed-in-the-wool United Methodist. However, his lessons have influenced many of us, whether we were aware of them or not. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was known for being an intellectual theologian. He had received his doctorate in theology from the University of Berlin, graduating summa cum laude. He was later not only a theological professor, but he was the dean of a seminary. And he included in his educational training coming to the United States and actually taking classes and doing coursework and study at the Union Theological Seminary in New York City. And so as Dietrich had traveled around, he remarked about how enlivened the gospel was here in the United States. That when he came here and he was engaged in conversation and reflecting upon the work of the gospel in trying to make social change and rid our nation of segregation, already the wheels of equality were working back then. And as he came and he was paying attention to what his colleagues in the black church were doing and saying, he was very moved by their using the gospel to undergird and equip their move for social justice. And he left and went back to his home area in Europe. And as he did that, he said, I have, I have enjoyed my time here. However, there is no good theology here. Uh, and coming from a German Lutheran, I kind of expect that, but we also know that there's wonderful theology here in the United States. But Dietrich gave us something truly interesting. He lived out for us the words that you heard a moment ago from Second Timothy, that this is not a golden road paved with ease. Discipleship is difficult. It is hard. It includes our discomfort, sometimes our suffering. Because walking this path, we are walking a road that was paved not with ease and asphalt, but the blood of the cross 
and the struggle for the kingdom of God to be built here on earth. And so Dietrich reminded us of that. He started to look at his faith differently. He thought that faith wasn't something that we simply threw out at certain times of the year. It was not a Christmas and Easter celebration for him. Instead, faith was transformative. It was power. It was fuel for making real change in the world. And he was known for coining the phrase, cheap grace. And if you've ever heard of that, then no doubt you are hearing not only Bonhoeffer, but those who have been richly influenced by him. The United Methodist Church is built upon a foundational doctrine of grace that God has chosen through no merit of our own to not only love us and forgive us, but to bless us. And grace is that fulfillment. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. He said that because there was a trend in the church where people were starting to say that once you were forgiven, it was over. Once you had accepted Jesus Christ, your, your story and your journey ended. And Dietrich pushed back on that. He did not believe that grace was something that we received once, period, the end, and go forth and live your life as if nothing had happened. Instead, Dietrich believed, as many did, that grace was so profound, that it was so revolutionary in the history of humankind, that it required a response. And not just a one-time response but a response in our lives, in our hearts, in our heads, and in our communities that we were going to search out ways in which to go on to perfection, that we were going to strive to be transformed not only inwardly, but change things outwardly. He was richly influenced by the work that he saw when he came to the United States as Christians could no longer sit by quietly and watch injustice. The opposite of cheap grace is costly grace. He argued that what God did for us in Jesus of Nazareth was unparalleled in its cost. That nothing could be more than God coming in human form and dying for us. That nothing could be more precious, more sacred, more holy, more special and unique. And that when we used grace... When we simply wanted to continue as we were, occasionally being forgiven, but never repenting and turning away from that which causes us to sin, to continually use grace just so that we could get a pat on the back on you are forgiven and go on as if nothing had changed was to cheapen the cost of the cross. And Dietrich rejected that. He said about costly grace, costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. We pursue grace. We accept it when it comes to us, and we rejoice in it. And it may, for a moment, completely transform our world. But Dietrich said if we don't continually seek those moments, if we don't yearn to search the scriptures, if we refuse to let the Holy Spirit work to transform our hearts and our lives, then we are cheapening grace for which Christ died. That it is to look and to marvel and to be thankful time and time again for what happened that day on the cross. 
and to rejoice and to change who we are in response to that acknowledgement. That we understand for even just a moment that we were worth dying for and to live differently because of that. So that our change may come the, become the change for others. That who we are becoming may influence others to understand that this was not just for a few, but for all. And Dietrich lived that with his life. What ended up happening was that as he returned to Germany, he was there for the rise of the Third Reich and the Nazi regime. And he was paying close attention to the shifts that they were putting in place in not only politics, but in religion. The Nazis were trying to consolidate Christianity and eroding all of the denominationalism so that there would just be one church because it would be easier to wipe away one church than the many. And Dietrich and other clergy like him from many different Protestant denominations came together and formed the Confessing Church. It was to push back on the idea that the government could limit their religious freedom. It was to say that we will not go silently into this which you are creating, for we do believe that God has called us forth to believe this and to live it out this way, in this denomination and in that denomination. And we will not stop believing and speaking our truth of the gospel. That the gospel was not just something that they read under the covers at night, but it was something that they spoke, that they lived, they breathed, and they enacted. And so he began this underground subversive seminary of which he was the dean for the confessing church. And he equipped other clergy to come up and be educated and to understand how they might live out their faith in the midst of persecution, in the midst of the struggle. Because he rejected what the Nazis were doing. He specifically spoke out against the euthanasia, putting people to death because they did not meet your ideals for the Aryan race. And he rejected completely the genocide against the Jews and all those who stood against the Nazis. All of those that were being killed simply in the goal of some sense of perfection. He rejected this, that all life was sacred, that all life was worthy. And he used the gospel to stand tall against that form of evil, hatred, and suffering. And in doing so, he was persecuted and arrested. The Nazis came for him. They threw him in the concentration camps, the very camps that he was protesting. They locked him away, but he did not stop. He would not recant. He would not be quiet. He would not lay down. Instead, he continued to lead worship within the camps. He continued to speak out, knowing that at the end of the day, the Nazis held their lives in their hands. He would not stop speaking the truth of Jesus Christ, even in the face of constant pain, suffering, imprisonment, and being in close proximity to mass genocide. He would not cease. The Nazis later figured out how to rid themselves of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. They linked him and routed him in this plot to kill Adolf Hitler. They without any kind of proof that's ever been substantiated, laid claim against him that he was trying to assassinate the Fuhrer. Now, he had family who was married into his family that were part of that plot. And he was round up in that, and they charged him with treason. 
And there at Flossenburg, the concentration camp, they arranged to have him killed. And the reports tell us that they stripped him, and in the cold, they marched him to the gallows, and there they hanged him. But before they did, he knelt down and he prayed. Even on the way to his death, he would not stop being a disciple of Jesus Christ. He refused to let earthly circumstances separate him from his God, silence his gospel testimony. Even then, he still had glory to speak. And he did. Not only in his life and in his work and his words, but in his death. And he reminds us, as all of the martyrs do, that there was something worth dying for. And it's not about platitudes. It's not about justice or equality. It's not about some kind of esoteric concept that floats around up there that we occasionally grasp and kind of link to the cross. He was reminding us and pointing us back to Jesus that there was not just something worth dying for, but there is someone. For every martyr, all of them, Remind us of Jesus Christ, that we are worth dying for. That some things are so precious and so sacred that the ultimate gift is to die for it. And that gift is us. That we are those for whom the martyrs suffer and die so that we can be reminded that the gospel is not dead. That we do not recant for saving our own skin. But instead, we recognize that at the end of the day, the work is hard and the work is difficult and it may include our own suffering and yet we go forth. It reminds us of the Garden of Gethsemane where there on the eve of his betrayal, his arrest, and just the beginning of his abuse at the hands of the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the Roman Empire, Jesus knelt down in a garden at night to pray. And he said the same things that we say to ourselves even now. I don't want to do this. This is not what I would choose. This is not how I want to be. But Jesus said, if this is what you want, almighty God, then I will go. I will do it. And I will suffer and die. Because that is the cost of grace. And he did. And all of us who have been in ministry of some form know what it is to suffer for ministry. I would love to stand here and tell you that ministry is all sunshine and smiles and warm and happy feelings. But it doesn't feel like that all the time. There are those who suffer for the sake of the gospel Usually this feels like vacation Bible camp, right? A marathon of long days trying to make everything come together for over 100 children is not all happiness and smiles. It's long and it's hard. And God bless those who do it. Because people will often look at people like me and people like you who are in ministry and they will go, is this really what you want to do? And if we're honest, the answer is no. 
you know, being up at five o'clock in the morning, five days in a row, knowing that I'm going to have worship on Sunday. No, that doesn't exactly sound great. Exposing my immune system to God only knows what for five days. No, and, you know, having to triage things on the fly because guess what? Kids are kids. No, it may not be what I want to do. Wouldn't you rather go home? Yes. My pajamas sound really awesome right now, but no, we're going to be here. Because the truth is that it is worth it. We suffer in ministry. We do things that we don't want to do. We go places we don't want to go. And we put ourselves, our minds, our hearts, and our bodies through things that we would not choose in a rational mindset to do because we know that it is worth it. We spend our entire ministry waiting for that moment when God reveals the joy. Those moments of illumination for us where a child and you can connect and you really do see Jesus Christ in them and they look at you and you know for a moment that someone sees Christ in you. Those moments of holiness, of sacredness, where the whole world seems to stop and shift on its axis because for that moment, you feel like the kingdom has come and God is very much with us. And we know that eventually that will change the way they interact. Dietrich Bonhoeffer believed this. He said something that motivates me even today. He said, the ultimate test of a moral society is the kind of world that it leaves to its children. Do we at the end of every day Look back on how we lived our lives and think to ourselves, this I would bequeath to my children and to the children of others. Is this what we would leave? Is this a better world than that which our parents and our parents' generation left to us? A true disciple of Jesus Christ keeps that at the forefront of every day, to leave something better behind. Not to simply dump something in the laps of the next generation and go, hope you can figure it out because we didn't. Instead, it is to strive every day to make a change, even when you know that your end is drawing near. Dietrich lived this out for us. And lastly, he said this. Action springs not from thought, but from a readiness for responsibility. God, through the Holy Spirit, has equipped every single Christian with the time and the talent and the gifts and the graces for ministry. And because the ministry is so big and so broad and so inclusive and diverse, all of us have a place in ministry. All of us have something to give. And yet, how many times do we hear out of the mouths of other Christians, I don't have time for that. That's not what I want to do. I would never choose to do that. I've already done my time. And yet, we are reminded not only from 2 Timothy, but we are reminded from Dietrich and in Jesus Christ himself that we have to be ready for the responsibility. We have been given such blessings and such gifts that we may use them for the benefit of others, for the glory and the honor of God Almighty, to preach the gospel with our lives, that there is one true God and King who came and suffered and died and rose again for all of us, not just those 
who look like the ideal Christian, but for every single human being. To know that you have been given something truly special and that God is waiting for you to realize that you can do this. What if Jesus had responded in Gethsemane the same way many of us have responded when invited or asked or called to take the next step in ministry? What if Jesus that night had said, this is not what I want. I have things that I need to do. I'm not ready to do this right now. Where would the world be? But instead, with faithfulness that makes our hearts shudder, Jesus admitted that this was not what he wanted, but that it was the will of God and he would not stray. And so he marched all the way to the cross for us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wanted us to remember that, to be inspired. And he showed not only his people, but Christ's people, that it can be done even today. This is not something from the annals of history. Dietrich Bonhoeffer died April 9th, 1945. And while that was before my birth, there are those in our family of faith who were alive when he was killed. And the true tragedy, beyond all tragedies in his death, is that it was just two weeks before the Allied forces would liberate Flossenburg. Just two weeks away from salvation. And yet, his death continues to hold us accountable, to inspire us, to remind us, and to equip us never to stop, never to let fear or earthly powers capitulate the gospel. May we live out our days committed to serving Jesus Christ and serving the next generation of Christian disciples so that every generation will build the next layer on the kingdom of God and no one will have died in vain but all shall be resurrected for joy. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week. 